I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we will spend our time together this morning working through verses 1 through 11 in Acts chapter 1. If you're new to North River Church, I want you to know that every single week as we gather together, we open God's Word, we work verse by verse through a passage of Scripture together, and we trust that the Lord's promise will come true, that He will accomplish in our lives exactly what He desires to accomplish as His Word is proclaimed. Over the last couple of weeks, this is week three of a series, walking through who we are as a church, and what we're trying to accomplish, making disciples in this community and around the world. The phrase that we use over and over and over again is we want people to know Jesus, we want people to grow in their relationship with Jesus, and we want to be faithful to go and to tell other people about Jesus. It's the reason we exist as a church. It's why we are here. It's why we gather. It's why we worship that we have the mission of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ here in this community and throughout the world. As we look this Sunday at that word, go, that we would be faithful to go and to make disciples. That is the mission that we have. I told you before that I played baseball growing up, played baseball in college, and We were in the midst of a heated game at one point, and I don't know if you know this. If you watch baseball, you've seen this take place. If you don't watch baseball and I tell you what I'm about to tell you, you're going to think those people are savages, all right? But see, there's things that happen on a baseball diamond that if someone on the other team decides they're going to show you up, there's an easy way to fix that. So we're in the midst of a game, we're playing and uh, I was pitching and uh, came in in relief of uh, the guy that was pitching ahead of me. And prior to that, a guy on the other team had hit a home run. And there's a way to hit a home run and to trot around the bases. There's a way not to do that. He had not done it the right way. He had showed up our pitcher. And so I go out in relief. Our catcher walks to the mound and he says, Kennedy, you have one mission. I was a sophomore in high school at that point, and he said, one mission, I want the baseball to hit him in the head. (laughs) I told you, some of you are like savage, right? That's your one mission. So he turns around, trots back to the plate, they get ready, throw the first pitch as hard as I could throw it and missed him. And I could tell he throws the ball back to me kind of like, what are you doing? Second pitch, guess what? Totally missed him. Third pitch, missed him. Fourth pitch, missed him. He came out to the mound. My catcher did. He said, what was that? I said, dude, I was trying to hit him. I'm just not that good of a pitcher, right? (laughs) This didn't work. It was my one mission in that game, and I didn't fulfill the mission. You know, it's interesting for us as followers of Jesus, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the reality is Scripture paints the picture that we have one mission to accomplish, one responsibility, one thing that we are to give our lives to, and that is 
to make Jesus Christ known wherever we go. As we look at Acts chapter 1 this morning, we are going to see in the text that reality presented to Jesus' disciples right before He left them, right before He ascended to the Father, right before He left them, He said, this is your mission. This is what you are to be about. This is what your life is to be given to. I want us to look at Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is God's Word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when He was taken up after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me from John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. And you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that'll frame our time together in Acts chapter one and this message. Our mission as believers is to make Jesus known wherever we go. Imagine with me just for a second that I am your catcher and you are on the pitcher's mound and I come to you and I say, one mission, this is all your life needs to be given to. This is what it's all about. Make Jesus Christ known wherever you go. We've talked over the last couple of weeks about the reason that People need to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. The reason that you needed to know Jesus as your Savior, that you were dead in your sins and trespasses, and it was the grace and the mercy of God shown to you that you were saved from your sins when you trusted Jesus as your Savior. And that we have an opportunity to grow in our relationship with Him. But I want us to recognize as followers of Jesus this morning that for us we have a mission and that is to make Jesus Christ known wherever we go. 
If you're not yet a follower of Jesus this morning, I want you to know that if you take that step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is the mission that you will have for the rest of your life. The greatest joy that any of us who have experienced salvation through Jesus Christ can have is to share that hope with other people. And that is what our lives are to be about. I want you to notice in the first five verses that Luke is going to outline exactly what has transpired up until this point. He says in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taking up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke references his gospel account of Jesus' life and his ministry. And he says to Theophilus, I've already shared with you who Jesus is and what Jesus did and how Jesus rose from the grave. I've shared that information with you. And here he is about to set an orderly account, not just of what Jesus had done, but about the disciples who had taken the message of the gospel and taken it throughout the world. He says in verse 4, while staying with them about Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We see this fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 as The Holy Spirit enables the disciples who are gathered with those who were there to celebrate the Passover to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with all who were gathered. I want to focus in this morning on verses 6 through verse 11 as we think about this mission that we have. You know, if someone tells you something at the end of their life, You have to know that it is probably the most important thing that they could ever share with you. At the end of Jesus' time here on this earth, these were the words he chose to share with his disciples. These were the marching orders. This was his final commission to them. This is their mission. This is our mission that Jesus has given I want us to take note first in verses 6 and 7 of the confusion and the clarity that's provided by Jesus here. Notice the disciples' confusion in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now think about what's going on in the text at this point in time, that for Jesus' disciples, throughout Jesus' ministry, they were very confused at times with what's going on. They recognized there was something unique about Jesus. They recognized there was something distinct about him. They saw the miracles. They heard his teaching. They saw all that transpired. At this point in time, not only that, they've seen him after he had risen from the dead. Prior to Jesus' crucifixion, they all left his side. But at this point, they are all gathered back together. They are gathered around the risen Christ. 
Jesus is present with his disciples in this moment, and for them, they are excited. They're like, let's go. Let's roll. Jesus, is it now? Is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In fact, for them in this moment, they were thinking very politically. They were thinking in their minds, okay, if the guy can raise from the dead, the emperor is no problem. The Roman army is no problem. If the guy is able to come back from the dead, that's the guy we want to be with. Politically motivated, they're thinking at this point, okay, now's the moment. Now's the moment that Jesus is going to put us back where we are supposed to be. As God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, who at this point was sitting underneath Roman rule, now Jesus is going to elevate us. He's going to put us back in the positions of power. He's going to take care of the emperor of Caesar. He's going to take care of all of the Roman officials. He's going to put us back where we're supposed to be. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? There's a bit of confusion in this moment. And I would dare say for us as followers of Jesus, if we're not careful, we will find ourselves right there with them. Politics is big business. Political engagement is big business. One of the things that we are so reminded of throughout Scripture is that for Jesus and His kingdom, It's not politically motivated at all. In fact, at this point in time, what's not happening in the text is Jesus says, yes, now is the time, guys, if you'll head to Rome and you'll cut off Caesar's head, now we can move this thing forward. How many times, though, for us as believers, do we get so trapped into a political mindset that if we can't get things right politically, that the gospel of Jesus Christ can't transform lives? Now, some of you right now are sitting back going, Pastor, are you telling us that we shouldn't be engaged politically? And of course, the answer to that is no, I'm not telling you that at all. In fact, as followers of Jesus, I think we have a responsibility in a nation in which we live where we have a voice to be able to exercise that voice in the political process. Yes and amen. We should vote biblical values. We should look at candidates and we should evaluate them on the basis of whether or not they're following God's word or not. Yes, absolutely, 100%, without question. But hear me at this point. If all Jesus needed to do was to do a political overtaking of the Roman government, he could have done that. You realize that, right? He could have done that. And yet he says in response to his disciples in this moment, verse 7, here's where the clarity comes in. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. 
For his disciples in this moment, they were politically engaged, politically motivated. They wanted to know, is now the time? And Jesus in this moment says the problem is his rule and his reign is not political but spiritual. There's a day that is coming. We know as we read the end of the book when Jesus comes back and every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. And yet in this moment, Jesus doesn't say, hey guys, if you will organize a political action committee, if you'll start raising money, if you'll get the right candidates in office, then we can see this Christianity thing flourish. He doesn't say that. In fact, here he says, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In this moment, Jesus is saying, political power is nothing in the face of God who is all-powerful. He's trying to get their eyes off the temporal moment right before them to see the God that they are worshiping and serving. Bringing clarity in this moment to them to help them see the mission that he is about to lay out for them. See, the reality is this is not a political mission. It is a spiritual mission that we're engaged in. And I would press us even further and say the goal that we should have as followers of Jesus is not to try to get people to act morally, to do the right things. Our goal as followers of Jesus should be to see them transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because here's what happens when Jesus changes their heart in the same way that he changed your heart. It changes the way that you live. Jesus provides clarity in this moment. It's kind of as if the disciples are sitting down in the chair of an eye doctor. You ever been there and they put the lenses in front of you? It's terrible. I hate it. And they flip the little screen and and they say, is that better? One or two? Two or three? Seven or 27, right? I mean, it's like, we don't know where we're going. But the end goal is ultimately to provide what? Clarity so that we can see. And here, that's exactly what Jesus is doing for his disciples. His disciples are sitting in the chair and they have in their minds that this is is going to be a political reality that we're about to experience. This is great. This is wonderful. And Jesus says, oh, it's not two, it's three. How does three look? You see that? The clarity of seeing what the mission actually is. Not only that, I want you to notice that In verses 8 and verse 9, Jesus lays out for them the power that they will need and the purpose that they will receive this power. Notice verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up 
and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus said in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The power that you need to accomplish the mission that Jesus has given is given to you through the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within you. We said last week as we were looking at growing spiritually that we are not able to do that apart from the Holy Spirit of God at work in our lives. And the same thing holds true for us as we are seeking to proclaim who Jesus is in the world in which we live. We need the power of the Holy Spirit of God at work, not only in our lives, but around us in the lives of the people that we are engaging with. Just this past week, I was trimming shrubbery that was long overdue in our yard to be trimmed. And I had electric hedge trimmers, and it's interesting, one of my hedges is positioned right in front of the electrical outlet that I have to plug the extension cord into. So I plug the extension cord in, got my headphones on, going to town, trimming the shrubs, come across the bottom and can't hear what happened, but all of a sudden, trimmers aren't working. I'm like, what's up? Started looking around, still plugged in, pulled back. I'd cut right through the extension cord. And yet here I am trying to run the trimmers without any power. And the reality is the same thing is true for our lives as believers. If we're going to be a part of what God's called us to do, of going and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people, we need the power of the Holy Spirit of God at work in us and in the lives of the people that we're sharing Jesus with. You say, well, what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? Well, one, the Holy Spirit reminds us of the great work that God has already done in our lives. That the gospel of Jesus Christ that has transformed us, the Holy Spirit is reminding us day in and day out of the power of what Christ has done in our lives. Not only that, the Holy Spirit of God is enabling us, empowering us to be bold as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. You ever been in a situation where you were afraid to share Christ with someone? It's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul was in a similar situation and asked for the believers as he's writing to them. He says, pray that God would give me the boldness to speak as I ought to speak. For us, the Holy Spirit of God provides the boldness to share Christ with those that we encounter. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit prompts us to see people not with regular eyes, but with spiritual eyes. To see people and recognize that the problem that they are encountering is a spiritual problem at its core. You engage with a coworker, you engaged with a neighbor, you engage with a friend or with a family member. And it's easy to look at their lives and to go, man, they are messed up. They got problems. And yet to see them and recognize that the problems that they have at their core are spiritual problems problems. 
In fact, when Jesus, the Scripture tells us, saw the crowd, he recognized that they were sheep without a shepherd. That what they desperately need was not a five-step plan to be more moral. What they needed was a shepherd for their souls. As we encounter people day in and day out in our lives, the reality is that they are sheep oftentimes without a shepherd that the deepest problems that they have are spiritual problems, that the only person who can fix that is Jesus Christ in their lives. And yet, as we see them, we need the Holy Spirit of God to help us see them in that way. Not only that, the Holy Spirit of God is at work in the lives of people that we encounter. It's interesting to me to hear stories of how people came to faith in Jesus Christ and to hear that the Holy Spirit of God was at work in their lives. They'll share things like, you know, this guy just kept telling me about Jesus, just kept planting the seeds in my life. Or they'll say something like, you know, flipping through radio station channels and I came across this guy who was preaching. And I realized that, man, I need that. Whatever he's talking about, that's what I desperately need. The reality is, church, the Holy Spirit of God is at work in this world in which we live. To open the eyes of the blind so that they see their desperate need for a Savior. So when you go out to your workplace, to your school, when you're talking with family members or neighbors or friends... Never underestimate the fact that the Holy Spirit of God is at work and you sometimes can't even see it. How do we accomplish the mission of sharing Jesus with other people? We need the power of the Holy Spirit of God at work in us and there as well. But for what purpose? Notice that he continues in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power for a purpose. That purpose, he says here to his disciples, is to be a witness wherever you go. To be a witness to what Jesus Christ has done in your life and what he can do in someone else's life, regardless of where you go. Notice he describes locations. He says first Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem was the location where they were right in this moment. So as Jesus is sharing this with them, he says, where do you start being a witness? You start here and now. And then he expands that from Jerusalem to Judea to the surrounding areas around Jerusalem. And then to Samaria, which if you know anything about Bible history, you know that the Jews hated the Samaritans. They didn't view them as equal to their level. They were half-breeds in their minds. So it was the people that they didn't want to share the gospel with that Jesus says here, that's where you'll also be a witness. And then to the ends of the earth. Which means for you and for me as followers of Jesus, that is the mission that we have. We start here. We start in Parrish, Florida. 
And we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends. We are witnesses to what Jesus Christ has done in our lives in this community in which we live. And then he says it expands beyond that. You think parish, and then we expand to, let's say, Manatee County. We're spreading out as we move and as we go, as we are going to our workplaces and to our schools and to our neighborhoods, as we move throughout this community. We have a responsibility, Jesus said, to be witnesses, to share Christ, to share the hope of the gospel with the people that we encounter day in and day out. And notice there he says, Samaria which is the people that we don't necessarily want to share the gospel with or the people who are just a little bit outside of what we think. I tried to put this in terms that we could understand. If you go to Gainesville in Gator Country, you still ought to share the gospel there, right? They need Jesus. Just like we need Jesus, right? And then it expands beyond that to the ends of the world, the ends of the earth, wherever we go, whether it's here in Paris, Florida, whether it's in this state, in this nation, whether it's throughout the world, we have a mission to be witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we go. Now we do that personally. It's a personal thing. You and I have that responsibility as followers of Jesus to be witnesses of what Christ has done in our lives wherever we go, but we also have that as a church corporately. And so we seek to make sure that that is a foundation of what we do as a church family. And we engage in that in a number of ways. We engage in that in this local community and the partnerships we have with mission organizations and agencies where we have the opportunity to tap into relationships locally in this community and share the hope of Jesus Christ as we meet physical needs through care portal, through disaster relief. We have the opportunity to share Christ with people. And then as we move as a church family into the nations and partnerships that we have throughout the world. We have the opportunity to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and to share Christ with them. Jesus here says for us, this is the mission. This is what we're to be about. I want you to notice, it's interesting to me in verses 10 and 11, take notice of the distraction and the destiny. Verse 10 while they were gazing into heaven as he went. Just make sure that you have this mental note that Jesus has laid out for his disciples. Here's the mission. Here's what we're to be about. This is what you are going to give your life to as a follower of Jesus, to be a witness to what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Notice he says here, as Jesus is leaving right before their eyes, While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Well, there's an easy explanation, right? When's the last time you saw somebody go on a cloud into heaven? Right? And yet in this moment, it's interesting to me that 
those who were there in white robes, likely angels, said to them, why are you looking into heaven? Why are you distracted? Why are you sitting here right now not able to see that the mission is before you, it's time to get busy, yet you're just standing here, hands in pockets, kind of looking up? Distracted. I don't think this is there by accident because the reality for us as followers of Jesus, it is so easy to get distracted with the mission that God has called us to fulfill. With any number of things. I told you the story, one of my favorite stories that would highlight this is in the book, Where the Red Fern Grows, my favorite book growing up. But Billy, who's got the two dogs that he's trying to train, one of the things that he knows he has to do is he has to have a raccoon so that he can train his dogs to be able to pick up the scent. And tells the story that he drills a hole into a tree and he puts a shiny object at the back of this hole and he puts nails on the sides of the hole in the tree so that a raccoon could reach their hand in and grab the shiny object at the back. But because they have their hand grasped, they can't pull their hand back up. It'll be there. It'll be dead. He can do what he needs to do. The raccoon is so fixated on the shiny thing at the back of the hole that it loses sight of everything else and ultimately loses its life. Follower of Jesus, there are so many shiny things in the back of holes in our lives. So many other things that distract us from the mission that God has given us to fulfill. And if we are not careful, we will be so distracted by all of those things. And some of them may be good things, but they're not the most important thing. He says here to them, why are you looking into heaven? Notice the hope that he gives them. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Said you're distracted looking up as Jesus is leaving. You are fixated on that. And he says the reality is he is coming back. Which means if he is coming back as a follower of Jesus, for us there is a sense of urgency that we would be about the mission that he's called us to. That we would take seriously the mission of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with the people that we encounter day in and day out. That we would be faithful to fulfill the mission that he's given us. Why? Because the promise is he will return. He's coming back. And either he's going to come back in our lifetime or we're going to end our life and we're going to meet him. But the one thing that remains true is the mission that he's given us hasn't changed. The mission that he laid out for his disciples here is the mission that is laid out for us as his disciples today as a church family. This is our mission that day in and day out in this community and around the world, we as followers of Jesus would be faithful to proclaim the hope that can be found in Jesus Christ alone. The reality is your neighbor needs to hear it. Your coworker needs to hear it. Your family member needs to hear it. The person at the grocery store, at the restaurant, needs to hear 
the hope that is available through Jesus Christ. And here's the good news. You and I have been appointed for this time and this place to be the witnesses of God wherever we go. To point people to Jesus Christ. So church family, we want people to know Jesus. We want people to grow in their relationship with him. And we want people to go and to tell other people about Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? You may be here today and for you, you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And this is a perfect opportunity for you to respond by faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to receive forgiveness for your sins on the basis of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We'd love to share with you more about what that looks like. In just a little bit, you can respond during our time of invitation, grab the hand of one of our pastors and say, that's the step that I need to take. And fill out a connection card and ask to speak with one of us, share with us that that's a step that you need to take. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, the mission is clear. You and I are called to share the hope that we found in Jesus Christ wherever we go. Not only are we called, but we're empowered to do that. And I want to encourage you this morning to think right now about the people in your sphere of influence, your workplace, your school, your neighborhood, your family, that you know do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And over the next few moments as we have an opportunity to respond, would you commit right now to pray for them? To lift them up to the Lord? To ask God to give you opportunities to share Jesus with them? Ask Him to give you boldness to take advantage of the opportunities as they come. Father, we ask this morning that you would work in our hearts and our lives. Help us sense the urgency of the mission that you've given us. And God, give us eyes to see people the way you see them. And the courage to share the hope that can be found in Jesus Christ with them. We ask that in his name. Amen. Would you stand this morning? You sing. Our pastors are down front. Our altar's open. I want to encourage you to respond this morning.